breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One zero one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty in uh, in studio with us this morning. Shreveport Police Chief and Gumbo Chef Extraordinaire <laughs> Wayne Smith joining us. That was f- we had the uh, Southern Gentleman's Classic cooking. It was awesome. Uh, I participated uh, several years, and it is so awesome to come out and compete against other chefs throughout the city. Uh, and to meet so many wonderful, wonderful people that come out to support that worthy cause. Now, the judges, we, we kind of left before the crowds got there, but mm-hmm. you said it was a good crowd. It it was. It really was. Uh, they hadn't had it in several years, but people really showed up to show support for Southern University. Thanks for not wonderful. putting frog legs in your gumbo, by the way. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a hint, a thought was in there. <laughs> okay, yes. good. Uh, Chief, we're, let's start with this heat. I know we're going to get to the noise ordinance downtown, but we we really need to, people really need to take care today because it's going to be the, t- the heat index up to 113, 115. You guys are going to be busy with calls. Fire department will be busy with calls. You got to ur- uh, urge caution today, right? I, I really do. Uh, uh, keep yourself cool, keep yourself hydrated, and just remember in many cases when a heat-related illness happens, uh, you don't recognize it coming on. So try to prevent it. That is the most important thing. Uh, just this past week, one of our uh, members of our police department, one of our canine partners uh, in pursuit of a stolen vehicle suspect uh, passed away due to heat. Mm. And we are, we're so sad about that. Absolutely. And y'all are going to have a, a service right. That is correct. Uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the Shreveport uh, Police Academy, we have a memorial site on the ground where we're going to lay our brother officer to rest. Okay. The noise ordinance downtown, I, I, have, read the, I have read the ordinance. Uh, the, excuse me, the gibberish. I mean ordinance. Gotcha. And um, Was it legalese? Oh, it's Mike. ridiculous. It it's like fifty feet. I can't I can't hear it. I can hear fifty feet. I can hear you talking in the hall. How how are y'all How are y'all even enforcing that ordinance? It's it's crazy. It's going to be uh, extremely difficult because not only did the ordinance that you read apply, there are several other ordinances, and many of them conflict uh, specifically due to the distance uh, and the location. Uh, what's unique about downtown is that businesses share common walls, so you cannot get 50 feet mm-hmm. without someone else, uh, you know, hearing your music. And we have people trying to live downtown. We're encouraging folks to move downtown and live there. I don't want to live next to boom, boom, boom. I mean, nobody uh, does. I understand. Uh, another uniqueness of downtown with the alleys and uh, the high-rise buildings, sound travels. And gets mm-hmm. amplified as it mm-hmm. moves along. Let me ask you this: There have been a lot of discussion about this is a this is a fight between two club owners, and that's really what this is all about. It's way more than that. I'm hearing that you guys get complaints about a lot of different noise issues downtown. It's not just one club versus another club, right? Uh, that 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 is correct. Uh, 
you know, complainants are complainants. Whenever someone feels that their rights have been violated, then we'll compel by law to respond and try to find a resolution. And downtown is going to be difficult uh, to find a resolution with the current ordinances the way they're written. There's going to have to be something specific uh, for downtown uh, because Festival Plaza is downtown and there are periodic events there that amplifies uh, uh, you know the sound mm-hmm. and other events and that an take place. Apartment downtown. complex right across the street from Festival well, Plaza. Well, Festival mm-hmm. Plaza is exempt from most of the sound ordinances, from what I was looking at. It looks like, but you have you have the garage where they have bands there. You have Hayes where they have a patio that's outdoors. You yes. have other other uh, venues where they do outdoor music that some people love and some people hate. Uh, you're correct, but. When downtown was designated as an entertainment district, then it caused uh, a lot of other things to happen to go along with that. But you said a moment ago when people feel their rights are violated. A lot of times, isn't it people's feelings are hurt more than their actual rights are being violated? Uh, You know, we're living in a society where we're we're kowtowing to people's feelings Yes. More yes. than their rights. Uh, I'm not saying that's applicable in, in this situation, but yes. it just hit me when you said that. Yes. Uh, one of the unique things, again, about uh, living in the city or in a congested environment, then naturally you're probably going to have to uh, concede to something that's not necessarily in your best interest. Chief, do y'all write nose, n- nose, noise violation tickets downtown we, have you done that recently uh yes we have we we have written a citation uh most recently uh we acquired uh, a couple of noise meters so we could make certain that we were complying with the letter of the law and we do plan to continue to do that until things change so you've handed out tickets to i guess bar owners yes and it's a fine they pay yes. a fine or do yes. they get a warning first <clears throat> Usually the the warning is when the officer approaches you and says, uh, you know, you need to turn it down. It's extending beyond, uh, you know, the reasonable limit. And if that doesn't uh, work, then the next thing is to move toward a citation. And are we headed in that direction for several businesses down there? Are are there several of them that are a problem? I personally made a visit down there at at about 1 o'clock in the morning myself uh, a few Fridays ago. Uh, to hear for myself what was going on. And I did, in fact, talk with some uh, uh, club managers and let them know of what my concern was. So I consider that a warning. Now, the fines that they face, are they actual, are they accelerated? Okay, you do it, here's your fine. You do it again, your fine's going to increase? Or can they just consider this, oh, this is operating cost. There again. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to budget $500 for my fine every weekend. And thank you so much for recognizing that. And that is one of the things that the uh, city attorney and the council is exploring. How will it be a gradual process? Because right now I don't think the ordinance covers that. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel. Mike and McCarty, Aaron, enjoying a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes graciously accepting an invitation to come sit in on this Monday. That sort of feels like Friday. 
you have to you've got today off though, right? A lot of companies took today off. We normally don't, but tomorrow's the federal holiday, July right. the fourth. Happy right. two hundred forty seventh birthday to America. See, and, I remember, uh, when, I when, remember when, the uh, bicentennial. The bicentennial, and so yeah, we got but the big ones coming up two fifty in a couple, yeah. about three years. So that'll be a spectacular celebration. Um, but yeah, with the holiday being on Tuesday, Monday's a slow day for um, our industry. So we have shut our office down today, so I could come be with you. Thank you so much. Now I haven't talked to you really since uh, before Windageddon, or whatever we're calling the latest round of storms. Uh, how did you fare? You, you, we, we had, we didn't have damage. Thank goodness, we lost power, but we didn't have dam. I, I, I was lucky, blessed that none, of, none of the limbs that fell hit any of my my house or garage or shed in the back or anything. I, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about my situation, Mike. <laughs> although, although we now, um, we now are a few weeks removed from it, so yeah. I guess I can actually. Hopefully, talk. everybody's um, power is restored by now. We we were more than blessed. I was not actually in town. I think we visited briefly at one point on you know, but I was actually not even in town. Um, was in Baton Rouge on, on business and um, got a call early that morning. Actually, I think as I, I remember, I got up and put on my my um, Keel app. I listen to y'all on the app, as you know, every morning. And I was laying in a hotel in Baton Rouge, and the Keel app comes on in my little earplug, and I start hearing you talking about with Michael Corbin on the oh, storm yeah. response. Yeah. And I hear the number 250,000 people without power. And I'm like, what the heck? I went to bed last night at one o'clock. There was nothing. Yeah. And then I learned about the storm, and I got in a car and came home, and, um, and it, and it Luck, 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 luck. We didn't lose power or have damage at my house. Everyone around me really had a disaster. Um, but we ended up being a shelter. We ended up having people come to my house and stay. My mother did not have power for more than a week. Um, my office, um, the Realtor Association office, we got it online pretty quickly. We being Swepco. Thank you, Swepco. Um, and then we turned it into a cooling and charging station for our members. So we became a recovery center. Centaurs, my house and my right. office. Nice. Well, good for you. We didn't. We we had no power. Uh, I had a neighbor that uh, came. I I think it was like Friday afternoon, maybe, and said, "We're going out of town." Oh no! And would you like to borrow our generator? Oh yes! And I was like, uh, "Yeah, my gosh!" It was awesome, and it was a relatively new generator. Manna, so manna I was from heaven. To, Some books would call that manna from heaven. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what a blessing. So I was able to, you know, hook up my, my refrigerator. So I had nothing. I No, I take it back. One fan. I had my refrigerator was able to go and one fan. So uh, that was a blessing. And then I, I think the power came back on Sunday. And I returned the generator full of gas. Thank you very much. And, uh, and then we lost it again like Wednesday. That was the worst part. For a part. couple days. That, that, it's funny to say that was the worst part for some, but I had some friends that they lost it. They adjusted to that. They went like you did. My mother was in that category, South Bozier. She went for a long time with no power. And then it came back on, and they had just restocked oh, their yes, refrigerators yes. in some cases, and it went out again. Right. And unfortunately, in some cases, it went out for more than 24 hours the second time again. Yeah. That, that Friday, Aaron and I got off the air the the with the original storm uh at nine o'clock and we went straight to that brookshire's down on pines road and bought dry ice and i put dry ice in my refrigerator 
in my freezer, which is incredible. I mean, it was it was even colder than <laughs> just running the fridge uh, for a day or two, and then I was able to get the generator. So I, I was very I was very blessed. Uh, got lucky, didn't lose any food, but uh, yeah, a lot of people. It, it was tough. You were you were. We we were we were blessed, and so we tried to share our blessing. Yeah. and had people stay with us, and then I say turn the office into a cooling station. We had an industrial ice machine there, um, started giving ice out to the members, and um, a lot of people in the community did that. And then now I think you had Friday, you had um, you had the. Um, the um, the the help the help network on super you know oh yeah super volunteer super network. I was just gonna say yes. rescue but they're volunteers super volunteer, volunteer network. network there's a lot of that going on in the community which is tremendous and um, I was driving around this weekend and what has now hit me is we're starting to look like New Orleans or Fairhope or some of these Lake Charles some of these places that hurricanes hit because now you're starting to see all the the trash the the the, the limbs stack up and up up and down the streets and it's still going to be a couple weeks i've run into several of the city folks and they are working on contractors to come in it just takes a couple of weeks to get a contract done but um, right. there are there are professional contractors coming the same group that does new orleans after the storm is going to come in and pick up all those limbs yes uh, talk with mayor arsenault he said uh th- i know the city has one may i don't a couple of those uh, lift trucks that has the arm that can grasp you know, and swing around and drop it in a trailer, but not nearly enough. I know if you go through Broadmoor, uh, like all the way down Greenway, it's just stacked. They're, literally, they're it's like going down a gauntlet. Like, they're like tunnels now. They're starting to be like yeah, tunnels because exactly. it's, it's growing up on the sides. Um, I, I ran into Tom Arsenault, not Tom Arsenault, Tom Dark. Ran into Tom Dark at church um, last week, and Tom told me that they're looking at um, out of state, out of, out of area contractors to come in and one of the reasons is a we don't have enough equipment to do this properly right, and quickly right. and b we don't want to damage our equipment the equipment that we have if we put it out in the road 24 hours a day for weeks and weeks and weeks all we're going to do is degrade our equipment we need to have the professionals come in so i think if people are just patient for another week or two they'll start to see right. that to get get cleaned up and then this will be an interesting day or two um as i laid in bed last night and listened to those um fireworks go off i kept thinking i know is, the that, the, is that the best started. decision right now let's be smart let's be smart people because you've got a lot of dry wood now on the streets That's right everything it has been hot still dry dried out leaves attached to them and it's very hot and we haven't had any substantial rain in several days now so uh fireworks are yeah are, are going to be iffy now, Mayor Arsenault did say late last week he was not going to cancel fireworks. He was going to allow them, but hopefully, people use some common sense. Well, and, and it's and it's probably a wise decision in, in in the sense that I'm not sure it is something you can cancel. You know, it's it, it's well, you can say we're not allowing fireworks this year, and, and, and then people are going to start still set them off, and it's, <laughs> so it's one of those things that it may be better off to say just be careful. You know, and rather than make it illegal, because people will get them. You can go over in Texas and get them. You can buy them. So um, it's just it just makes us makes me a little nervous. Yeah, just uh, again, use some common sense. Fireworks, safety, and uh, yeah, and let's uh, let's enjoy tomorrow in a, in a safe manner. Any big one, plans tomorrow? 
Um, no, we're, we're we're not. My, today's my wife's birthday. She's a July third ah. baby, so we'll celebrate my wife's birthday tonight. Uh, we're not Happy big birthday. July fourth people. We don't do the lake. We don't. We um, we'll probably cook maybe a little bit hamburgers, hot dogs, something like so that. So you don't love America? Is that uh, what you're saying? <laughs> I love America. I tend to I tend to celebrate America with the Boston Pops or the the Washington <laughs> oh, Mall. I, I tend I tend to yes. I tend to watch the fireworks on television. We we have a tradition. Usually, my wife runs in the Firecracker Five K. We we many we used to live on the route, um, and so we for years we did that. We still go up to the mall in the morning and watch it. So we well we our our tradition for those of us that don't run it. Uh, we go to the uh, end of Monrovia at Fairfield mm-hmm. and and watch all the runners go by, and then we go to my wife's family reunion in uh, Keechai, Louisiana. Oh, and her grandmother's and her mom's side of the family has gotten together for I don't know seventy five you know years, and uh, so we do that every year and have a great time. So we're still going to plan on doing that. Yeah, we used to live basically at the corner of Ontario and Fairfield. Okay, and so we would go out for years. We'd go out right there. That's the top of the hill, um, right as you come up there, the hill before you get to go down the hill toward Betty, Virginia. And we would sit there and cheer the runners on. Now we actually go to the parking lot um, and listen to the music and watch the runners come in, having completed. It's a it's an amazing event. It's it, fun. It really is. Uh, Sheriff Steve Prater dropped a bomb on Caddo Parish last week. We'll talk with him coming up after the news. Top of the hour, Micah McCarty. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike M. McCarty. It's hot in here again. Always it's hot in this studio. <laughs> if, and and you go to the one right behind me and it's like twenty degrees cooler in her studio. Uh, it's twenty degrees period in that studio. And there is a <laughs> lot more hot air in that studio. <laughs> <laughs> Chica. Ooh. Oh, boy. She Chica. scares me. She absolutely terrifies me. I'm telling me. you, when she comes in here, though, it's hilarious. It, she's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't turn my back on her. <laughs> oh, my. I love it. Now, okay, um, over the weekend, did you get, you had, uh, I, I actually got some yard work done. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we drove to Kilgore. My son's coming back, and he's going to live, live in Kilgore. We went by the restaurant where he's going to work, a uh, brand-new restaurant coming in downtown. And uh, so we were over there earlier. Hawaiian Tex-Mex? <laughs> I know, <laughs> He right? was in Hawaii, right? He's come home from Hawaii. Yes, yes. yes. He, he moved. Long story, he moved to Hawaii. My daughter was engaged to a, uh, uh, a man who was in the Army, he was a army ranger, so he was stationed in Hawaii. He ended up being a stuntman, or st- I think he still is. Um, so he did very well financially. Ended up buying several homes along the North Shore, large homes that he leases out. And and so she had moved out there. They were going to get married. So my son was like, "Well, I'm going too," you know, and he. Packed up all his stuff and left. This is 15, I don't know how many years ago. He was like a sous chef and became a yeah. chef and sort of went yeah. up that route. Well, And and so um, they got out there and she called off the wedding and she came home. 
And he was like, well, hell, I'm still, I'm just staying, you know. I'm just in the most beautiful, expensive place on the earth. Right. <laughs> and he lived in a hut. I mean, he was off the grid, you know. But uh, he's, in, uh, he's, he's going to be coming home, hopefully, next month now. That's the plan. He's 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 making preparation. So I'm really excited to have he him. Wants, he wants he wants to back. be an uncle. Wants to be a good uncle. They, well, well, well. That, that's a whole other story. But uh, we're looking forward to having him back, and uh, uh, he's going to work there at the restaurant. And so they'll all be they'll all be close. They're close, relatively to you. close. I know your yeah. wife will be happy to have the kids oh, close. Yeah. So uh, we're looking forward to that. I want to talk about, last time you and I talked, we, we, we kind of briefly talked on the phone, um, and I found out something about you that was very interesting. Oh, no, Ruben, here it comes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Get You're, ready you know, on the button, Ruben. <laughs> you, uh, you studied, like I did, I think, in the past, the uh, JFK assassination. You're kind with the word studied. <laughs> I think obsessed is probably okay, a better well, word. But same here. I, I, yes, it's. I, I have a few things in my life that I um, academically devote time to. Well, I, I, and I want to talk about that next with uh, Scott Hughes in for Erin McCarty. She's enjoying a long holiday weekend. Micah McCarty, one one. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keo, Mike and McCarty, Aaron enjoying a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes uh, sitting in with uh, with me this morning, and and Scott, we, several weeks ago, we, we kind of got to talking about um, the JFK assassination. We, I've been to Dealey Plaza. I'm sure you have too. Many times. Uh, been up into the school book depository. Um, the movie JFK. The Oliver Stone Oliver. <laughs> conspiracy movie. Grounded in truth. There was There's some, a lot right. of truth. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Oliver Stone perspective in it. The but, most stunning part of that movie is actually the end of the movie, in my opinion. When I haven't the, seen it in years and years. When the movie's over and they just scroll for several minutes, all the people who were in the plaza who died in the next couple of years, either of oh, heart wow. attack or single car accidents. And again, those are facts. You can check those. Right, right. And maybe that's common given the number of people around, but I'll, I'll never forget the, I was an, I was actually used to usher at AMC movie theaters years ago. And so we would go in after the movies to clean up. Mm -hmm. And I remember just standing there watching all those names scroll and like, okay, this doesn't seem like it's common. Right. Which is just one more mystery. Were the Clintons running things back then? What? Just one more mystery. Um, well, there were, there's a lot of interesting names that go back to... Right. Um, I, I, I'll start with... I, mean, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but one of the little facts that always amazed me, and, and we are certainly not going to have time today to unpeel oh, this Oh, no, no, onion, no, I understand. But, but, but I, it's the little facts that have always amazed me. And one of the... One of, people know about the Warren Commission. 
after right, the assassination, right, right. the right. president signs a signs a. They decide they must look into this, so they they seat what was called the Warren Commission, and the chairman Earl Warren Earl was the Warren, chief justice right. of the U.S. Supreme Court, and that was considered highly controversial because Chief um, Ch- uh, Chief Justice Warren did not want to do this because he believed it was blurring the lines between the three branches of government. That this was an investigative is- issue, and the judiciary should not get involved in investigating. He was ultimately convinced for the good of the country to do it because of his credibility. But do you, if you, I don't know if you remember, but it was only about How six. How ironic, right? It was only about seven or eight people assigned to the Warren Commission. And there was the Chief Justice, the Senate got to pick two, the House got to pick two, and then there were two others that were picked. One was a former CIA director and one was a former head of the National Bank. Well-respected business people. But I always go back to the two from the House. Do you remember who those two no, were? No, I don't. Two representatives from the House get picked. On the Democratic side, Hale Boggs, Democrat from Louisiana. Okay. And on the Republican side, a little unknown representative from California, Gerald Ford. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. And he goes on to be president of the United States from a commission that, to this day, they have not released all the documents. Right. And both Trump and Biden, when they came into office, both said that they would push for the release of more documents, and both did. Trump said he'd release everything. He found that he really wasn't allowed to do that. He released a lot of them. And then Biden has released in the last year um, another 18,000. Actually, 1,100 documents were released just last Tuesday. So why not release everything, Scott? Why? Um, what What are you hiding? I'm not hiding anything. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I, Warren I don't Commission, know. federal government. What are we? What are we hiding? I don't know. And then, of course, these document dumps come. And and, and I don't want the I don't want the radio world to think I'm one of the guys that goes out there last Tuesday and, and, and trolls through 1,100 documents. I do not. But authors and researchers and and people do. Uh, and what's interesting, the kind of the, the group that has got these documents, it's the National Archives. It's the same group that is looking for documents in other cases going on today. They collect these things. And so they have they have created this center where all these documents are. Um, and, and what's interesting, what I'd like to see is, and then what's missing? Which documents haven't you released yet? Because that, that becomes the most interesting part. I'm with you. Why all these years well, later yeah. have you not released something? So what? Do you, what? Real quick, what do you think happened? Um, my on favorite that, on my, that fateful day. In I'll November. say my favorite theory. Okay, my favorite theory. It was it was a book called Mortal Error. Thank you. That's yes. Mortal yes. Error, written by Bonar um, Minigar. But it really was the who worst. was who was a, a, a an expert in now, Howard Howard Donahue was this was the shooter. Um, Bo- Bomar Minigar was the author. He worked with a guy right. named Howard Minigar. Um, How- or Howard Donahue, I've got the names backwards. Minigar was the author. Donahue was the sharpshooter. Donahue was one of the 12 or 13 sharpshooters, marksmen, they brought in to recreate the situation. Mm-hmm. As a part of the whole investigation, they brought all these experts in. They try to recreate this situation. Donahue was bothered the entire time. Something's wrong about this. So it becomes one of his life passions to begin to investigate this from a purely ballistic standpoint. Not, not, no conspiracies. He stepped aside from the Oliver Stone JFK angle. But wasn't Bonar, wasn't he a ballistics expert? They, yes, he was. They, yeah. they both were. Right. And so they start looking at just the evidence. They, they, they literally set aside why it happened. It doesn't matter to them. They were looking at what happened. And after years of looking at it, um, Donahue and, and Minigar come to the conclusion that, yes, 
there were shots fired from the sixth floor of the book depository. Okay. But they believe that when the shots were fired, it created a chain reaction, is the best way I can say it, with the Secret Service agents who were in the car mm-hmm. right behind the right. governor and exactly. the president. Um, and then that reaction, who else had weapons? The reaction when the Secret Service agents turn sets a bullet off out of one of the AK-15, AR-15s. one of the agents stood up. The, the George, cars, Hi- George Hickey, we, we know who it is. Because, and he was not normally armed. He was in charge of the vehicles. Correct. And when the vehicle, he stood up with his weapon. Clearly, you, the you have vehicles, the Sapruder film and you have other photography. The vehicles then sped up, causing him to lose his balance, firing his Firing it, his it, rifle. That is their theory, and his and his rifle fires, and it's directly behind the president as he's turning. And 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 and, and the, the pictures show the shot. pictures show when the shot goes off, he turns to find the window, and then he reaches down to the the, the running to get his weapon. And as you said, as he stands up with the weapon, the the, the cars surge. They're going to mm-hmm. go out the, under the interstate, and they're going to they're going to run, and and the bullet goes off. And then the other, uh, I, and I read this book years ago. It's a which is why the cover up because this. Secret Service killed him. And, and and then the second great piece of evidence that they point to is when you look at what took place, I'm not going to get into details, but we've all seen the video of what takes place, particularly with the president. And when you realize that the Secret Service, and I'm not a guns guy. You're probably more of a guns guy than I am. I'm a Second Amendment guy, but not a guns guy. But the Secret Service, I know this, they carry what's called man-killer bullets. They don't use the carbine. That's the other problem people have always had with the big with 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 the, with, with the shooter theory because those were the the old um, you know long bullets, the pristine I'm, bullet, yeah. yeah. And, and so, right. but the, the the Secret Service has always used what's called man killer bullets. They know at some point if they are going to shoot, they're going to be shooting into a crowd of people, and they don't want the bullet to go clean through a body and hit the next person. They want the bullet to hit their target, then implode in pieces right, right. and take out the one target they want to hit. And if you if you've seen the video, if you know what happened to the president, that seems to be very indicative of what took place when the bullet hit him. And also why the autopsy was not allowed to be performed in Dallas by private doctors, and, which and is this, which is the law. Correct. At Parkland, the body goes to Parkland Medical Center, later flown to Bethesda Naval Academy. Before where there's the a, autopsy was allowed There's to another be whole book, which you may have read as well, where there's a theory where the body basically is faked, that, that between the Parkland and between the showing up of the, the official autopsy in Bethesda, that they do some things to the body. It's a whole other theory it, it picked up. Um, that one doesn't seem near as plausible to me as the... And the thing I like about mortal areas it's basically a simple solution to the whole thing a mistake happened and once the mistake happened the secret service did what they did they just they just bundled everything up and they sent it to washington and um i think to this day there is no recorded interview or released interview of anyone from the secret service they weren't allowed to be interviewed fascinating which is why today you come forward it's fascinating we may see some secret service agents testify in one case or another which the precedent has always been the secret service has never been investigated but we've gotten to the point scott where are you going to believe anything you know what i mean a secret service agent testifying but it's like okay do you believe anything at this point well and 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 it's a maybe it's an argument for another time discussion for another time I'll, i'll say this i still think you get to a point where you have to believe something i go the right. other way we have to believe something and i think in today's world the thing 
that I will still believe is I will still believe, I have to believe a human being sitting under test, under oath, testifying. AI, picture, a lot of things you can't believe. But a human being sitting under oath, raising their hand, I'm going to believe. And a Secret Service agent never did that in the JFK. Scott Hughes in for Aaron McCarty, Mike and McCarty, and Shreep. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten. Keel, Mike, and McCarty. By the way, um, you, you made a great point. Just continuing that real briefly, uh, the JFK assassination and, and why this brought up. Just because I'm interested in it, Scott Hughes. It's uh, how we spend our time. I know, <laughs> Scott Hughes. Uh, the the book Mortal Error. If you haven't uh, if you haven't heard of it, look that up. Bonner. I forgot the. I can't. Minigar is the author. Minigar. Yeah. yeah Nineteen ninety two book Mortal Error. And uh, the fashion, but you brought up a great point real quick in the last minute. Um, the the shot fired. W- what was Lee Harvey Oswald's position? You know, why was he? Even Don't know involved? why he did what he did. That's what you know. That that's what Oliver Stone and others try to get in the conspiracies. But on that one, I keep coming back to, and I'm not a marksman, but the simple fact of. Why did he wait for the car to turn before he took the first to shot? To make that left turn to go through Dealey Plaza. Which now becomes a, a steep angle shot down right. on a car that can speed up and get away quickly under the railroad tracks. He, was, he had him head on for four blocks. Yeah, he had him approaching his his. his and his, most uh, folks nest. that I've talked to that are, that, that are marksmen that would shoot, they would have taken the shot in that last block before he turns. You can't back up. If you're going to back the car up, he gets more shots. You only can come forward. Right. And, and that's the part that that's the part if you're if you're asking why the, the setup the patsy theme why does he wait and take the shot till after the car turns very interesting fascinating stuff scott hughes in for aaron mccarty sheriff steve prater going to join us just after the local news michael mccarty what a One hundred one seven FM, seven ten. Keo, Mike, and McCarty. Aaron uh, enjoying a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes sitting in guest hosting with me, and uh, in studio with us, Cato Parish Sheriff Steve Prater. Looks more like Jimmy Buffett today. I'm, I know. <laughs> well, yeah. I heard he'd retired, but this is ridiculous. Well, and well today's a government <laughs> holiday. We we have so many government holidays. You look you look good, casual, Steve. Well, Let me you. just tell you that. Thank look, you. I, I, I think I, I can speak for eighty percent of Caddo Parish voters when I heard the news late last week that you had decided not to run in the upcoming sheriff's election. Um, I was heartbroken. I was disappointed. I was sad that you're not going to be in that office. And um, but but explain your decision and and how you came to that decision. Okay, I was planning on running, as you know. I told you right here on the show I was going to run, and the campaign was going fabulously. And uh, I would have, I feel confident, would have won by sixty, seventy percent, like I had the rest of the elections. Uh, had in two fundraisers, we had raised right at three hundred thousand dollars that I have returned now, sent the checks. 
uh, it took took two days to write all the checks back, but uh, the lady that helps me so much, she did that, and we've returned all of the money. I think that is the appropriate thing to do. So the money was good, the polls were good, the pundits were saying we're going to win. I had real confidence. And then during, I, I got short of breath one day, and... Uh, I'm going to tell you, I am going to, Aaron and I, uh, Aaron had called you one day, and this is, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And, and, and he didn't answer and didn't call back. And Aaron looked at me and she said, that's not like Steve. You know, she, she was, we were worried about you health wise. Well, that was because that when you called, you wanted an update on the storm and, uh, electricity out. Well, I worked. And it was at the EOC, the Emergency Command Center, on Thursday, on Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday, holding news conferences. And at that point, I knew that my heart was not right, and that I was going to Dallas on Sunday afternoon. So Sunday after my last news conference mm-hmm. at the EOC, I went directly into my truck, got to my truck, and went to Dallas. And Monday morning, when you wanted me on the show, I was actually getting a heart cath and a stent put in my heart that was 80% blocked. Monday night, they released me. I got up 5 o'clock Tuesday morning from Dallas and made it back here for another 10 o'clock meeting Mm. Wow! during the storm. So um, anyway, I'm 100% healthy. Okay, uh, 80% block turned into no block now. Uh, I listened to my heart. I'm, I've always stayed in good shape. Was doing 30 minutes on the treadmill and stopped the treadmill and didn't get winded until I walked up the stairs at the Y. And I said, that don't feel right. doesn't feel right. And, uh, and so I listened to my symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I, asked, I just want to encourage everybody, if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. So... So if you're 100% healthy now, yes. you're yes. good to go, right. why, why not go ahead and, and run? Well, you, you realize you realize more. You have a mortality. There's just so much sand left in the glass. And I want to spend the rest of my time not relaxing, certainly, because I'm never going to give up and relax. But I've got some other things in mind to address violent crime, to, you know, okay, let's move on to something else. Okay, I'm healthy, I'm fine, was going to win the election, but decided to go a different route. Let's move on to the fact that we've had 37 people die in Caddo Parish and Shreveport this year violently. Okay, if there had been 37 people die of an unknown disease, we would have all sorts of people in here studying every aspect of these people's lives and every aspect of whoever had hurt them and how many times these people had been convicted and in trouble and how they were raised. And there is all we do is report 37 people have died. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next thing. And, and in perspective, we only had 43 homicides all of last year. So whatever okay. this, whatever's going on, on double that, it's more than point. 22. Yeah. It's back on 21 levels when we had 83 or the record in 80, 93 when we had 86. So we are on a record pace, I think it's fair to say. Right. And until we start really studying it and everybody have an open mind in the system, I put out an 11-point plan to where everybody, everybody has to 
do their part. The universities have to do their part and help us study this. I want one of the universities, a local university, to come up and say, we will dissect this thing. And I want the district attorney to be willing to say, we maybe need to concentrate prosecuting on all, which my I've been saying because of all the literature that said nationally, all illegally possessed firearms must be must be prosecuted. They must be handled uh, seriously and not dismissed, not pled down. Handle, plead something else down if you need to. Okay? Plead you the gun charge. Plead a gun charge it, down. It, it, uh, it, but it, don't it, plead the gun charge. Plead, plead the drug I charge. It's Steve, Sheriff, Sheriff Prater. I've known, known you a long time. Um, I, I sense that I sense you got some things to say. Yeah. And I sense that you're going to be an elected official in a rare position. Maybe explain to the listening audience, sheriff's different than the other elected officials. Win, lose, or draw, you are sheriff for another year. So right. you, you truly have what many would co- be called a bully pulpit for a year because you're not running for your election. You don't seem to really care a whole lot at this point about what people think. You're going to say what you want. Is that fair to say? That's that's fair. I've kind of pretty much always been that way but you've been very open 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 minded yes but i do i i care 50 years i've been so honored and blessed to be able to be in a position to help people because you started the report police you were chief of police for street people many people don't know that yep and and i've just been you know god blessed me with this job and this passion and this and it hadn't gone it hadn't waned in the least and so what i want to do in Caddo Parish, we need some sort of a, when I say I want to do, what I would like to see is some sort of a crime commission or some kind of a oversight. You, when you when we start looking at the criminal justice system, most of the time we look and the first question is use of force by police officers. A citizen's commission. We a hear citizen's commission. And, and most of that's citizens' overview of the police department. You know, oversight of the police department. And then we say, how many times have the police used force? And then they say, okay, that's that's good. Okay, we, we've finished our study. Okay? But, okay, that's not it. we got to study the entire system. But in, in respect to that, when you have a, a citizen's commission, which I'm not, I'm not disputing is, is probably, you know, a good thing, but the average citizen sheriff doesn't understand police work. If, 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 am I correct in that? They don't understand. Police right. work, a no, lot of times, is ugly. It's not pretty. It's not pretty to watch. And what I hear the sheriff saying is more than police work, all the pieces together. The police side, the court side, the incarceration side, and the recovery side. Right. And the prosecution side, the entire, you have to look at the whole thing. But you're right, Mike. The, most folks don't understand, but if you get the right... If you get to people and you send them through and let them write, do some ride-alongs and see, this is not, we're not out there, we don't, we don't pick people up to take them to Sunday school, okay? That's not the kind of people that we're usually picking up. Right. All right we're picking up people that, that don't like you, that are on drugs, that have mental problems, that are going to resist you, that all of these things that we try and we train our people and we have millions of contacts a year and very few times there's any kind of use of force. And by the same token, those police officers and those sheriff's deputies are not out there looking for somebody in particular to go 
hassle or arrest? I've, I've been the boss and hired so many people in the course of my 30-something years as chief of police and as sheriff. And I don't, I can't think of a, a, a single time. There might have been something I just can't think of, but I can't think of a single time that anybody came to work in order to be able to hurt somebody. We go through psychologicals and backgrounds and polygraphs and try to pick the best people that we can. And they don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, boy, I hope I get to shoot somebody today. That's just not right. That's just not not even realistic. And we need more people to challenge statements like that, that some of the some of the liberal media, certainly not y'all, certainly not in northwest Louisiana. But but give us a break. Let's look at the whole system. Let's let's assume the police are right until we prove they're wrong, just like we do criminals. Okay, instead of assuming the police are wrong until they can prove themselves being right. Obviously, they're human. People are going to make mistakes. But but if if you look at an, an intentional versus a mistake, I think you know I think it balances out much more toward the police officers. Yep. So so, so with yep. your news, Steve, you're not running. You're healthy, right? You're healthy. not running. You've got things you want to do, right? Anybody calling to ask you about the job? That's a good, that's that's a whole discussion of itself, yes. And we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about that coming up. Uh, okay. Sheriff Steve Prater in studio with Mike and McCarty, Scott Hughes. One seven FM seven ten Keel. Mike McCarty in studio with uh, Scott Hughes, our guest host. Aaron enjoying a long holiday weekend. Sheriff Prater, uh, Steve Prater, uh, joining us in studio, announcing he's not running. But Sheriff, uh, we've heard some names over the past several days since uh, you've announced that you are not going to seek re-election. Um, the uh, Don Hathaway Jr. Right. Don Hathaway Jr., uh, of course, you know, it's no secret because there were so many people calling around and talking, and he expressed some interest, and he certainly got the name. You know, it'd be easy <laughs> to go back to saying Sheriff Hathaway, but uh, but I don't believe that he's going to do it. I, I won't say those words for him, but uh, it's my impression that he's enjoying being a, a judge, and he is a fine Ryan right. Judge, uh, we'd heard word judge. that uh, he was he he was going to run, and then now we've heard he's not going to run. And then we have the obvious announced candidate, um, Henry Whitehorn. I think Henry's right. been in law enforcement. Was former CAO of the city. He's still running, to your knowledge, correct? Oh, he's he he's still running. Uh, of course, I never spoken to him, but uh, but he's running. And and there's another fellow running out south of town, Eric Hatfield. Yeah. Um, George Eric Hatfield. He's run against you in the past, so it's a space safe to assume he may right, run. Right, and so, you know, if, if you're asking, I assume you ask me, anybody I, that... I'll ask. Those two candidates are running. What, what's your what's right. your take on the two in the field today? Well, my take would be this. If anybody's listening to me and you are happy with the professional way that the Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office acts and responds... The fact that we are transparent, the fact we've been there 23 years with no scandals, we have uh, we have a healthy fund balance. We have been tough on crime and careful with your money, and both of the announced candidates so far want to change that, evidently because they announced and wanted to run and and take me out of this office so that they could head the 
sheriff's office in a different direction. If you want a different direction of the professional cattle parish sheriff's office that you have now, then vote for one of the announced candidates. Otherwise, hold on to your money. Now, is there has anybody contacted you uh, and said, uh, now that you're not in it, I would like to run and I'd like your endorsement? Is anybody you can talk about? Nobody has said I'd like your endorsement yet. They they have breached the subject with me. There's one fella, uh, uh, Craig Smith. He ran against you in the past. Craig, years ago. right? An Craig attorney, ran against me in attorney. the past. He's a local attorney. He's a law and order guy. A real, uh, he he would make a good sheriff. Um, he has not asked for my endorsement uh, at this point. We hadn't gotten that far along. He's he just called and asked how the you know about the job and what it's like and this sort of thing. And so he's and, expressed an interest, but has not said he's going to run. Right, yet. he has not said those words. Uh, I think we'd be fortunate uh, to get him. Um, he's a like I say, I, I can't. He's a he's a he's a very good friend of mine. We went from from uh, running against each other to where I have I have really um, really grown very uh, have a lot of admiration for him and what he stands for and especially his work ethic. I, I guess uh, Steve, there's others too. Yes. As, as as these people start applying, what is the job? I, you and I, you said the why earlier. Our lockers are next to each other. The why I've known you for years yeah. and years and years. And I, I joke because you you are dressed a, a very very casual today and, and good for you take the day off. But every day I see you in uniform. I see right. you carrying the weapon. Different sheriffs approach the job differently. What's your take on the Caddo Parish Sheriff's job? What what are voters looking for? Is it a law enforcement? Is it an administrator? What are you is it a politician? What are you looking for in the job? Well, I never was a politician. I had come from 26 years of public service in in the um, police department. Uh, the first yard sign I ever had in my yard was my own. <laughs> uh, because I was forbidden to be involved in politics and stayed away from it. The only reason I got involved in politics is because I had to do that to continue in the profession that I wanted to be in, that I was called to be in, and that is law enforcement. So I got thrown into politics. I've never considered myself a politician or to know anything about politics. Uh, all I do is go to work, law and order, and that's the first thing on my mind is what can we do to make our parish and make the citizens safer? I wake up in the middle of the night wondering about there's got to be something to make people safer to where we don't have people shot, to where we don't have people congregating on corners and making people fearful of, 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 of a sense of disorder. We don't have random gunshots all night long. There are some answers to make it better. It's not going to be perfect. There's evil in this world, but we can do a better job than what we're doing and it's going to take a complete overview of the entire system and until that is done we're going to continue to report on monday mornings that it's our 37th homicide and then the next morning it'll be our 38th homicide and we won't know any more than we did to start with and until we look at this whole system and everybody why is it why is it that there are certain certain areas of government that have oversight and others that are just, oh, we can't look at that because, you know, because that's the sheriff or that's the DA, that's the judges. you got to look at us too, okay? And I've always said, come look at my shop. 
Look at what I do. Look at everything. We're, we're transparent. Unless it's a criminal enterprise or intelligence that we're working on that you can't see, you can see everything we do down there. Please come look. Look at my travel. Look at my arrest rates. Look at our people at the jail. Look how we treat people at the jail. Look at our reentry programs. Look at all of those. I get fired up just thinking about it. That's <laughs> no, why I can't quit. It, it's exciting to watch you because in the end, you're in charge of some law enforcement. You run the jail, and you also collect the taxes. People collect forget it. that's one of the biggest, and that's property and a whole bunch of things. I hate that part of it. I feel like snidely <laughs> whiplash sometimes. I, I didn't always. say you implement the taxes, but you are legally responsible <laughs> yeah. for what collecting that, them. The Bible said that, that <laughs> even Jesus hung around the sinners and tax collectors. And so I kind of feel, you know, come on, give me a break. Jesus, we got to do it. Even Jesus will hang around you, sure. I love it. <laughs> a year from now, Steve, what are you proudest of? As you walk Whoa. out the door, what you look back on your career think, as the sheriff. Think about that, and, and, and if you want to hang with us, sure. And uh, we'll if talk you about. Want to it. hear from me? Absolutely, we're we're going to take a break. We got Sheriff C. Prater in studio, Mike and Mc. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Scott Hughes in for Aaron. She's taking a day off uh, before the holiday. Uh, Kettle Perry Sheriff Steve Prater in studio with us this morning. Steve, this is a real short break uh, segment. This before we uh, take a break, um, uh, just to recap what we've talked about. You you decided not to run uh, because of. Uh, would you say health issues? Would you? I, no, I would say health issues pushed me over the edge to to, to look at my. Sh- I'm gonna die one day. Everybody is, and I want to spend my last years doing the most productive thing I can. That doesn't mean knitting and watching movies. That means approaching, making people safe. Law what can what can I do to change? Whether it be statewide, whether it be. Um, whether it be locally, whatever it might be. You, uh, you've got an interesting concept about this crime commission, and I want to talk about that um, coming up after this break. In addition to, you were, Scott, you had a question. You said... I'd ask him what's his proudest of. He's been there 26 of. years, I think, Jim, 24, or Steve, 20... Oh, tw- uh, yeah. Well, I've been there 23 years. Four no. terms at least, I think. So Yes, six we'll, terms. We'll hash that six out terms. after That's right. the yeah, break. As soon as we, you and I figure out what, how long I've been there. <laughs> I always want to make it a six-year term. It's a four-year term, four times six. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> Let's make it a five-year term. Michael McCarty. One hundred one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty. Uh, Scott Hughes in for Aaron. She's enjoying a, a long holiday weekend. Uh, Parish Sheriff Steve Prater is in studio. We've got a, a couple questions posed to you here in the last few minutes. Um, hey, what? I want to talk about this crime commission that you were talking about. I know you're not going to go off into the sunset, right? Um, right. 
tell me about what you have in mind for for this. Well, I think that we I think we're in desperate need of trying to logically and academically decide and study why are we having such violent crime in Shreveport, Louisiana. Now, and I know we have it in Minneapolis, I know Chicago, I know Baton Rouge and everything else, but why do we have to be satisfied with it's happening, so let's just accept it? Why don't we in Shreveport, Louisiana, try something different or try something that's modeled some other places? Let's look at what we're doing. If we can prevent two homicides, if we can prevent five homicides, if we can do something about our car break-ins, let's look at the overall crime situation. Well, I know Ru- uh, Ruben does the uh, the mugshot galleries every right. week, uh, people, violent, violent offenders, and I can't tell you the number of times he goes, oh, I recognize this guy. Oh, it is his fifth time through. Oh, I'm I'm late. I'm late right. doing last week's. So I'm doing them right now, and saw three people that I've I've posted before. <laughs> well, just look. Yeah, just and, look and right and underneath it, and you can see what, everything they've been arrested for. Right, absolutely. Yeah. There, and it's just it why is. are they out? Why are they on the street? The recidivism is is obscene. And why are people not in the streets writing about that? Why are we not burning cars and breaking in stores and all mad because people aren't being held accountable? That would be clear. You're not calling for people to do that. Yeah, You're asking yeah, a question. Right. But right. I, don't, but I agree don't, with you. Why aren't people more don't upset about that? break in the that. Jiffy Mart and Blanchard because... I love your analogy. If we had this many people dying every year of a rare disease, we certainly or an would unknown have disease. Med working on this. Yeah. Right. Right. right, and the medical people are one. I mean, they are impacted so greatly by this. Uh, anyway, um, but but yeah. So you have a so year, this commission so you have a year to try to get this set up. Is that kind of what you may be looking at? Well, I've got a year to be open to others. It, this has to it. This can't come. This. It's got to come from the citizens. It's got to come from the Chamber of Commerce. It's got to come from the Committee of 100. It's got to come from uh, LSU. It's got to come from uh, uh, Southern University. It's got to come from the citizens. It's got to be a citizen-driven deal because, let's face it, if the Cattle Parish Commission did it, or the city council did it. It's political. It'd, It'd be, be poli- political. Exactly. It'd well, be political, and their people would be appointed to it. Each one would demand to have a citizen appointed to it, and it would come to nothing. Uh, it's got to be citizen-driven and not worried about hurting feelings. And, and uh, New Orleans has a crime commission. I don't know that everything they do is what we would want to do. I don't know how. but they seem but to be working there, does it? Well, it's not working there, but the citizens are informed. Yeah. And, and real quick, Jim, we mentioned earlier this is political because someone and, has and to run And you've called for, me Jim a couple I, times I'm sorry, now. but Jim... <laughs> And Steve, and, uh, I'm sorry. How soon we forget? <laughs> I'm, I'm Dern, sorry. Locker is next to yours at the Y. <laughs> but it's a Freudian slip because I have something on mind. You and I talked about off air. I think you wanted to get to. Right, so right. I just wanted to kind of recap because it is a political race to replace you, right. um, Steve. And and it's a short term race because of what's taking place. It'll be a right. very quick election. We know that Henry Whitehorn is going to run. We've heard that Eric Hatfield's going to run. I think you mentioned Craig Smith. Any more names you wanted to mention? Jim Roberts is is considering it. To my and that's where the Jim came from. I was trying. 
to get that right. Thank you. I, understood. <laughs> I understood, Fred. Um, <laughs> that, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Jim Roberts is a is a good friend of mine, the previous police chief, and he has expressed an interest. I have not heard yes or no from him. Uh, and then there's others. I've had two other attorneys call me that are well known and reputable, and they have considered it. Um, here you, in a couple, you've mentioned a few other names that aren't eligible because they're they're uh, the uh, residency requirements. Right, a lot of your, lot of your good internal candidates. Right, Bobby you were, Herring. You were planning to run again, so a lot of your internal candidates don't live in the parish. Right, Bobby Herring uh, would would make a good sheriff. He lives in Bozier. Uh, John May would make a good sheriff. He lives in East Texas. Uh, they both work for the Kettle Parish Sheriff's Office. Jay Long is not interested. But there's a res- residency requirement. Explain that. Right. you got to live in Kettle Parish for one year or be domiciled, whatever that means, and it all depends on which court you go to. But, um, but you have to be domiciled or live in Kettle Parish for one year previous to qualifying and so that eliminates some some candidates but i'm telling you there's some there's there's some good people out there that have not announced that would make very good sheriffs and you may not want to answer this on the air and i understand if you could hand select is there somebody that you would just love to go hey you need to run and if you and, and I understand that if you don't want to say that on the air, well, it's it's not that not to say it on the air. It's it's I really don't know who that would be. Um, I, I want somebody to come in and run it. I don't want it to be Steve Prater's show and don't change a thing. There's things. I mean, every day I come to work and my staff will tell you this. I say, what can we change today to make it better for for the citizens of Shreveport and Caddo Parish? And uh, and and I always tell them we're going to leave this place better than we found it when when our time is up. And when I put the last book in the box in my office, I'm going to know that the place is better off than when I took it over. And I took it over from a good guy. Uh, sheriff Don Hathaway was a great sheriff, you know. And that was always my... I'm going to take a good sheriff's office and make it an excellent one. Now, I want somebody else to come in and make an excellent one, a superb one, if that's a better word. Scott had a question. What are you most proud of? You may have answered that. It sounds like your people, a bunch of things. But is there one thing you're proud of? You, Between you and Don Hathaway, y'all been sheriff for 50 years. Right. So um, as you leave, what are you proudest of? That you left it better than you found it? Or is there something? Oh, yeah. We have a, gosh, so many things. I'm proud of. I'm, I'm, I'm proud when I go to Brookshire's or Albertsons or whatever. I don't want to disparage any grocery store. Wherever I go, I have so many people come up and thank me for things that our deputies did or police officers did that I knew nothing about. I'm proud of being the leader that fosters that type of uh, attitude. I'm proud of the things that people come up and say, thank you, Sheriff, for doing this, for the things that I've done that I don't even remember quite often. Uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that we got about probably $60 million fund balance. Okay? That is unheard of in these days to be that careful. We went out in 2001, 20, almost 25 years ago, went out for a tenth of a penny sales tax in order to meet, to bring the pace of the deputies up. That was the last time the citizens of Kettle Parish have ever heard about a tax increase from Steve Prater. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the crime. It's gone down in the parish every year except one year it tied uh, in, outside the city of Shreveport. Our pr- crime has gone down. 
I'm proud of the reputation the deputies have. I could go on and on, but a specific thing, I'd, I'd, I'd have trouble. I'd have to really give it some thought if there was one particular thing. And to end, you're not going away soon. You still are the sheriff until next June 30th. Is that correct, July 1st? That's correct. We're 360-something uh, days. I'll still be sheriff, and I will still be, uh, you know, I'll still be vocal and, and uh, do everything I can for the citizens of Caddo Parish. I want to leave the place better, but we better wake up in Caddo and, and, and Shreveport, and you better quit accepting crime and fussing about it to the barbershop and then moving on to your favorite gumbo recipe. I mean, it's time that we took what we're doing seriously, more seriously as a community. We, it's going to be all hands on board, or you're gonna, we're going to lose Caddo Parish. Look at the population. We're it, losing. Is there... Any possibility that you could come, because you say you're 100% health-wise, your 80% blockage has been taken care of. Right. Any possibility you go, you know what, I do have four more years. No, because that that would that would make me appear wishy-washy, and I don't think I've ever been that. And, and for me to go back and say, hey, you folks that have been supporting me, you sent me $300,000, uh, and I sent it back to you, and here, send it back to me again uh, to run this thing, no. But I'm going to be very vocal, and I'm going to try work my best to make sure that somebody gets elected that will continue the, uh, the, the expedition that the Cattle Parish Sheriff's Office is on of improvement and not change because we have to transition into a new model that, uh, that is unnecessary and unneeded. Cattle Parish Chief Steve Prater, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining welcome. us. We Thanks appreciate your time me. and, and uh, Godspeed to you. Thank you. I'll, I'll pick up my check on the way out. <laughs> Have a great holiday. Have a great rare day off, Steve. Thanks, Thanks for treating me nicer this time than usually. I, I, <laughs> well, Aaron's not here. Aaron is, Aaron's a tough one. <laughs> thank you. Enjoy time with your granddaughter today. Okay. 101.7 FM. One zero one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty in with Scott Hughes for Aaron Ruben. I got to tell you one of my favorite parts. Uh, Cattle Parish Sheriff Steve Prater walks in the room. Ruben, <laughs> <laughs> how are you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he says he he has a hat for you. He forgot. He, I know. He, I need he my, brought Aaron and I hats. I, like, need, I need my hat. Yeah, and <laughs> definitely. So, but but I say that to say, I, Ruben. <laughs> One time, I don't know. It was uh, the no. The sheriff called he, when he was one of our guests, but he called and he, he was calling in. Right, Ruben put him on hold. Say, hold on, we got a minute and a half. But I'm gonna put you on hold. And he looked at Aaron and I, and he goes, "If you'd have told me ten years ago, I'd be on first name basis with the sheriff <laughs> in a good way." <laughs> it's true. I said, you were crazy. You were crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand. Teen, teen and early twenties me was uh, was kind of a mess. <laughs> Although he did kill your political career, he, told he you, did. He told you you can't run for office with that mustache. I can't. Uh, apparent, <laughs> apparently, running for office with a mustache is just political suicide. I, so, I had no idea. That's so interesting to me. So breaking. 
picking on Keel. Ruben is not running for sheriff. Ruben, no, that that no. may be the list we have to start. Who's yeah, not running not, for sheriff? Not but Ruben is not. <laughs> a lot of names brought up. It's going to be interesting the next several months. That was a fascinating interview. I, it, I wish Steve had some things to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun. Uh, Caddo Parish Sheriff Steve Prater, uh, and uh, we thank him for coming in. 1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and Mc- One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, and Aaron enjoying a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes in studio with us. Uh, Scott, we spent last hour talking with uh, Caddo Parish Sheriff Steve Prater. That was ah, fascinating. Gosh, what a great hour! It it brings up though interesting. It's going to make for an interesting race now. There's a lot to unpack there. We spent because a lot of time talking about the past because Steve's been there for six terms, four-year terms, 24-plus years. But the, I think what you're alluding to, Mike, is it, it sets up a, a, a rapid race to the finish. I mean, this is a political race we weren't expecting. Well, because he had announced that he – a long time – a while back, he, he he talked to us about – he said he thought about retiring – and but then he came back and said, "No, I'm running." As he come, but he made it very clear he was going to seek re-election. That and was a, that was a question a year ago. And and so there were a, a few campaign uh, fundraisers. Uh, he's done very well. Done, you know. If you look at any, if you talk to any political experts, seem to be. He uh, started out with meeting. over a hundred thousand dollars in his campaign. Now the word is he'd raised more than I think he said three hundred thousand. And so I had heard he'd raised upwards of a half a million. He's so, returned all that. Right. So with that announcement, though, months ago that he was running, a lot of a lot of candidates were like, I'm not going to run against Sheriff Prater. So a lot of people that would maybe have to because he went through part of it. There really aren't any internal candidates because a lot of his eternal the top leadership doesn't meet the residency requirements. Um, And there's a one year residency requirement. Right. You can't move into the parish now. You just can't move in now and claim claim residency. Um, We we had previously heard that Henry Whitehorn had stepped out and he had announced that he was running. Eric Catfield has run before and many assume he 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 might run again every time. Um, But outside of that, that was going to be the race. But now it's a race that could be wide open, and it's a short fuse. Who could raise right. the money? Filing's going to be coming up quickly. This is going to be an October-November race. This is You don't normally see this. We've only had two sheriffs for 50 years, and now we have this sprint to the finish with, quite frankly, an unknown field at this time. He right. did mention several names. That, that, yeah, several names that he knew that could possibly or have expressed interest uh, but again, Scott, you're looking if somebody uh, who has of a lesser known, right? A who lesser can raise known the money, who has a campaign, who's run before. It's going to be a tough road to hoe. I mean, some of the significant names that he mentioned on air were um, he mentioned Craig Smith, who's a local attorney who has run for sheriff in the past. He's also run for DA. So I, I, you kind of check the box. Craig has name recognition. He has he knows how to campaign. Money fundraising would not be as big a problem for Craig. He's been self-funded to a degree in the past. He mentioned um, Jim Roberts, former police chief. 
Um, Jim has some name recognition at this point. I don't know that Jim has a campaign. He'd have to raise money. Um, he, he mentioned some other folks, but you know, it, it's going to okay. be a tough race. Okay, we, we talked about he he mentioned uh, Craig Smith, local attorney. But Craig is a Democrat. Historically, has run as a Democrat. We have to wait and see what he files as. Is that a vital dis, is a, a, of a distinction in the sheriff's race as it would be in the mayor's race or even the district attorney's race? Do you think? I, I, I do think it's a, it's a distinction. I mean, a, I, I believe it's, me. It's especially a distinction, I think, in the, in the primary. That The problem of any political race um, and, and especially one that might suddenly find five, six, seven candidates get in. It's an open seat that doesn't come open very often. So we may see people come out of the woodwork to run for this shot to be sheriff. And so what you get into is much like we had with the mayor's race last time. You, if you get a large field, you, you, have, you don't, you don't ask, ask the question, who can win? You have to ask the question of who's going to get enough percentage in the first round to get through to the second round. And so, yes, a Craig Smith running as what would be a white Democrat in a parish that that's been kind of a problem. Um, that could be politically troublesome, given you already have a significant African-American Democrat candidate in Henry Whitehorn. Whether people um, that listen to this radio station like Henry or not, he is a significant candidate. He sure. can raise the money. Oh, we, we've He'll have a B next start. to his name. Yes. You figure Henry's worth at least 30 points off the go. Even Steve was talking a 70-30, 60-40 race if he won. So Henry takes 30-40% easy before we get going. And so if a Craig Smith gets in the race, where do the votes come from? They can come from white Democrats. They can come from Democrats. I don't know there's going to be a lot of Republican love coming his way in the first round. If he's the the best candidate standing in the second round, maybe crossover. And where you get is three or four Republicans get in the race and split the one-third, 40, 50 percent that's Republican vote. This is a crazy race. It's going to be interesting. For what arguably is one of the two top positions in our parish. Traditionally, in any county or parish, the sheriff and the district attorney are considered the top two elected officials. Mm-hmm. And those jobs don't come open very often. Right. When is the next DA's race? Um, the DA's it's race. It's not this November. I, I don't believe it's this fall. I think it's no. that they, they run on a different cycle. So um, it's it's that that's going to be a. And I have to go. I have to go look. I don't, I don't want to. As soon as I say that, the board will light up. Oh, it's this fall. We're not aware of it. But um, I'm still. No, I, think, I don't think I, it is. I think I talked to Aaron. A lot of these are still more the state offices and things. Um, but um, no one, no one has stepped out to challenge the DA in a major way at this point. So, uh, Cattle Parish Sheriff Steve Prater announcing he is not running. Uh, he he's healthy. He said he had an 80% blockage in his heart. He knew there were some issues a few weeks ago. And I'll and, say this. I, I, he, I think that's sincere. Politically, when we I look at this, I, I know we're and you're getting the same text I'm getting. There's some people that think it's some big grand political ploy that he wants to hand this off to some successor. And, and I'll just say this. I don't see that. He doesn't seem to have a successor ready. There, he went through the list. There's no internal candidate. This, uh, um, this does appear to be, a, I think he's very sincere. 
here that this has come up. And um, I've heard him talk several times now about his mortality. Um, he was very excited off air. He talked about he's taking his granddaughter shopping today. And his face just lit up when he talked about oh, the grandkids. And yes. I, I think it's a man that has served his 50 years, this the city and the, and the parish. And he's ready. He's ready to step back a little bit, maybe on some of the stress of the day-to-day. He's clearly not going anywhere in the conversation. Matter of fact, what I heard was he's plans to have a louder voice in the conversation. Not worrying about... he won't about- be an elected official. <laughs> Exactly. Not worrying about running off votes. He, he wants to sit on his porch and just let people know what he's learned over these years. Now, he talked about forming a crime commission. What? How, how do you see that? Well, I heard two things. Um, what, what I heard was he wants to share what he's learned. He wants to take a deep dive into what's causing this. He said, look, I've been on the receiving end. I've walked up to crime scenes for 50 years. I've had to help help prosecute because they arrest and they work with the system. And I think he's tired of walking up to crime scenes. That's what I heard. I am tired of walking up to crime scenes. I'm tired of correcting 36 homicides is now 37, which he shared because one of the gentlemen died last night on what apparently was the filming of a rap video. He's tired of that. And there was a shooting that took place. He wants to get to the root cause. He wants to work with all parties and figure out how do we stop this? Not how do we enforce the law or how do we incarcerate people right. who did this? How do we stop this? But he's. But I think he also wants to address, yes, he's been walking up to crime scenes for the past 50 years, but he's also seen that entire process from that crime scene all the way through the adjudication process, and he's fed up with... He wants to step outside of his limited role as the sheriff. That, that's that's probably a better way to say it. As the sheriff, he has been limited in one portion of this process. And now he wants to step outside. A year from now, he does have a year. Mm-hmm. A year from now, he wants to step outside of that role, take the badge off, and he wants to be a part of the larger conversation of the whole process. Why is this broken? How do we fix it? And he said many times, how can I help fix it as a citizen? That's, and he kept saying, we're going to need citizens to do this. It's a bigger task than just the elected officials. And it, it will be interesting. It will be interesting to see because for the past 24 years, uh, I can't think of there have not been any scandal. There hasn't been uh, any controversy within the sheriff's office. He said it's, it's, it's been very transparent. Uh, you can look at his travel records. You can look at, you know, the the performance of his deputies and, and throughout the entire process. And he's got a $60 million fund. He, he was very proud of that. It's interesting. If you look at law enforcement across the country, I, I personally believe sheriff departments, not just the Caddo department, but sheriff departments are often one of the most respected, I think, in the process. Um a lot of what we've seen in recent years is when people talk that, you know, there's a lot of attacks on city police, whether it's, you know, everyone attacks city police. People tend to respect the sheriff's departments. And I think in Cato, we've had a very professional one. Um, state police has come under a little attack these days, um, depending on the state that you live in. But um, I think he, I don't think anyone's ever questioned the Cato Parish Sheriff's Department in terms of its professionalism. Um, and then, as you, as you noted, I cannot remember what we would call a scandal or something with the, with the sheriff's department. So that'll be interesting to see where we are today and where we're going to be in four years. I think we'll keep hearing from Steve. Obviously, we'll talk to him more as we get close to the election. When I heard him say, Mike, and I think you and Aaron may have him back on, I very clearly heard him say, yeah, I'm going to be happy to talk about the candidates. 
He does. He didn't mm-hmm. have a favorite today, but he made it very clear he's willing to talk about the candidates. He basically called out voters to to look at these candidates very carefully and ask why are they running. What do they want to do? And then I think, obviously, he has a year left in office. I think we're going to hear a lot from him in the next year um, as he works with whoever his successor will be. And then as I'm really curious sheriff. to see what he does starts doing July 1 next year. <laughs> as a lame duck sheriff, yeah. it's going to be very interesting to watch this last year. Uh, Scott Hughes in for Aaron McCarty. What a one. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, and uh, Aaron McCarty taking a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes joining us. Scott, you're the political expert. Um, last week we talked a lot about the uh, the Supreme Court decision. Uh, busy Supreme Court docket. B- busy, yeah. They're done now. The 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 decision that uh, for Alabama. That the, affected the, the Louisiana. Rights, the voter rights. They they, they, they they put a decision out on Alabama, on Alabama's redistricting, redistricting, and then later actually issued an opinion. They had stayed a Louisiana process, which they then, based on the Alabama opinion, they threw that back to Louisiana. They then also subsequently, the next day, we talked about that last week, but then the next day, they issued another opinion in the North Carolina case. Um, which was very similar as well. So in a sense, the Supreme Court has come out and really our our legislative friends are going to say, put some handcuffs on the legislatures. But what they really did was they said, no, a process in a state does involve the courts. If you're looking for the high level of what they said was, they said, yes, a legislative body gets to set the rules and the districts, but the courts in that state also have a say. That was really what was what was at, at odds. So in Louisiana, our, our six congressional seats have been thrown back for redrawing. And at this point, they're with a court. And when I think we're all waiting to see, does the legislature call itself back into session to redraw the lines? Or are they going to let a court redraw the lines? I'm just I, I'm just at a loss. I know you want to take the state and put a line down the middle, then two I, cross lines and have six, six districts. Six districts. And, and how is that not fair? It, it it would be fair if if our two million people I, I have to you know we're living in you know, four million people we're living in six equal spots. A congressional district has about eight hundred thousand people in it. And so if we all lived in equal places in Louisiana, that would be fine. But we don't. We have, but, we have very sparse look, population in the middle, I a, little up, a little in the corners, and then most of them are down around this lake in, in south Louisiana called Lake Pontchartrain. Pontchartrain. I saw a picture of somebody posted from the 20s, people swimming in Lake Pontchartrain. That was, I don't know, it was pretty funny. Every now there's a but, white dolphin in there or something, or but you I see a shark digress. picture. <laughs> Okay, so redistricting. So if if you say, okay, just dividing the state into six equal portions is not fair. Geographically, I think. Geographically, that's, that's, what, that's what, what you're I mean. asking. Right, that's what I'm saying. We are going to divide it into six portions population. 
But how is that proposed Zorro map? How is that fair? Well, the Zorro map was not fair. I don't think you're going to see the Zorro map come back. The Zorro map was last. When we say the Zorro map, the last time. But we you're going to have a variation it, of it? it. I think that that's going to be their challenge. Um, the, the reason that they, they, they put the Zorro map in, to be honest, is they were trying to keep two seats in North Louisiana. We've historically had a seat anchored out of Shreveport Bossier, currently held by the 4th Congressional Mike Johnson. And there's also been a seat anchored out of the Monroe area. Right. We've had two. Right. And, and I think that one of the things that's going to happen, I think Julia Letlow is the, the congresswoman mm-hmm. over there. Um, she's actually got the least seniority in Congress. She's the newest elected representative. And so I think one of the answers they're going to have to move to is they're actually going to draw a line across the northern part of the state. And I think Ms. Letlow's seat's going to go away, and they're going to they're going to move it to South Louisiana and create a second district somewhere somehow between Baton Rouge, North Baton Rouge, where there is significant African American population, kind of down, working down to New Orleans. And then one of the things they're going to have to do, in my opinion, is they've always created a fairly dominant African American Democratic seat in Orleans area in Jefferson and Orleans. And I think they're going to have to give up some of that population instead of having like an 80-20 district, maybe go more to a 65-35, 60-40 and move some of that population into another one coupled with North Baton Rouge to create a second district where statistically an African-American could possibly get elected. Short of that, it's going to be very difficult. The other places you have significant African-American population are parts of Monroe and parts of Shreveport. And that's why the Zorro District tries to snake up and grab that population. That one has been held to be not constitutional because it doesn't really make sense on a map or representative-wise. So they're going to have to play with the area between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. See, again, my simple mind, I don't understand how you can go, well, that's not constitutional, but... This is. Well, but the, the problem, the, the other simple argument that comes into play is we have a state with six seats. We have a state with one-third African-American population. And the math's pretty simple. Six, one-third of six is two. And so we only have one. And so you're looking at some simple concepts that are clashing. A simple map, simple math. But then you get to the hard practicality of putting together precincts and where people actually live to try to get to those two seats instead of the one we have today. Um, and, and I mentioned the North Carolina. That, that was the, really the test case. In North Carolina, they have 14 congressional seats. We have six. They have bigger population. They have 14. Um, that's a state that's pretty racially balanced, and they broke that state 10-4 in the terms of how they broke the seats. And the, the Supreme Court said, ah, 10-4 is not fair. You need to be more like 8896. And so they have the same problem we have. Alabama has it. There'll be a lot of states that have to redraw, which the ultimate domino effect of that is it will affect the seats in Congress, the 435 seats in Congress. And when we have the election next fall, this election is not this fall. This election is next fall. It could really impact the break of Republican and Democratic seats in the U.S. Congress. And we only have a five vote difference right now. With your with your experience and your knowledge of this, how how do you see that breaking out in Louisiana? Yeah, in Louisiana. In Louisiana, I think they clearly will will settle on a second district, and the question is going to be how they do it. And really, what I think you get to is, I think the philosophical argument is going to be: Does Northeast 
and Northwest Louisiana each get their own seat, or is there now going to be a North Louisiana seat? I think there'll be a North Louisiana seat. Will there be a Southwest seat? That's Clay Higgins today. Yes, I think there'll be a Southwest seat that Clay keeps. Will you still have a Baton Rouge area seat? That's Garrett Graves today. Yes, I think you'll still have that seat. And then what I think you're going to see is they're going to take the Southeast part of the state, the remaining three seats, and you're going to see that split up into three. One that Steve Scalise, you know, a very powerful mm-hmm. man in Congress, mm-hmm. will keep. And then they'll have the other two down there. They'll move the Letlow seat from northeast Louisiana down to the Baton Rouge, New Orleans area. And you'll have two Democratic seats in the New Orleans area, which, to be fair, if you look at New Orleans, that's probably a fair representation of our okay. state. So Mike Johnson's area would actually increase. I think Mike Johnson, will, it, he probably will have the same land area right now. If you look at Mike's, Mike's seat, he goes all the way down past Leesville, almost to Lake Charles, down the western side of Louisiana, the 4th Congressional. Okay. I think that they pretty much will, instead of being north-south, if you can picture the, the western half of the state, I think he pretty much will be east-west. He'll be the I-20 Congressman, He'll go all the way across the top of the state. He'll pick up Monroe. He'll give up Leesville and some of the stuff well down south. So how far south would that district go? It will probably to go down to Alexandria. Okay, yeah. that's what he, I was... he may pick up Alexandria as well. They may they may try to sneak into part of Alexandria with that Baton Rouge seat trying to find a little more population. But Mike will basically have half the state geographically, the northern half of the state. Wow, interesting. It's going to be interesting. When when is that? We're, we don't know a timeline. My bet is that you will see that that work its way through the courts in the fall. If the legislature needs to call itself into session, to, to they can still approve a map. So they may do a special session. They may wait till the spring. But the 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 election is next fall, about a, a little over a year from now. Okay. It'll Scott, be res, it'll be resolved by next summer. Scott Hughes in for Aaron McCarty, Mike Martindale. What a One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Aaron off today, enjoying a long holiday weekend. Scott Hughes in studio with us. Uh, coming up next segment, I do want to talk about this Colorado. Uh, it was at the Colorado Supreme Court decision. The one in Colorado involved free speech. Free speech. I, I do want to talk about that. I know we'll be careful. Uh, uh, but but uh, yeah, there's some things that I that I want to bring up about that. Great, uh, come on the third of <laughs> July, talk about America now. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing more we'll American talk. than freedoms and the Constitution, and and, and our the very First Amendment. It's it's let's talk about that next. One hundred one seven. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten. Keel, Mike, and McCarty. Aaron off today. Scott Hughes in studio with me. Scott, being the political analyst and expert, much smarter man than I am. I like to uh, pick pick your brain, and I want to talk about the uh, the Colorado case. First of all, explain what the the Colorado free speech case. Uh, explain that case to us. 
Um, just to paraphrase them, yeah, yeah, I, I, always like, I always like the caveat. I'm not an attorney, <laughs> and so this is two guys talking on the radio. But in general, the Explain case it was to me like I'm, in general I'm the case was old. a website designer in Colorado um, filed a filed a case against the Colorado law. And I think as this came out, it came out as a discrimination issue. And and um, but fundamentally, the filing was, as I appreciate it, I think this was built on the famous case a couple of years ago called the Cake Baker case. Um, I you know, remember it, that it came out of Colorado. Yeah. Well, I think what happened is Colorado passed a law. The state passed a law that made it against the law to deny services um, to protected class people in a protected class. And so this person filed a a challenge to the Colorado law. There was no client. I think that's what confused a lot of people. A lot of people said she has no standing. No one ever actually asked her to make a website for them. Okay. But what happened was Colorado created a law and she challenged the law when it was passed to say this law limits my free speech. So this was a First Amendment challenge that she was claiming that a law that says I can't have my free speech limits my constitutional right to, in this case, be opposed to gay marriage. That was the issue that was going to be triggered that she claimed that she could be put into. Um, it ultimately goes up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, in a um, a very discussed last week decision, 6-3, came down in favor of the website designer. They okay. said, yes, this Colorado law, in their opinion, would take away her free speech. Now, where people got really upset, I think, was the free speech that she wanted to say perhaps would be discriminatory speech in most people's eyes. She said that my religious beliefs do not support this type of marriage. Therefore, I want to speak out against that. And so I think uh, Judge Sotomayor, um, she had a, had a scathing dissent where she basically used the line, I'm paraphrasing, that for the first time we perhaps have um, constitutionalized discrimination. And she's probably correct. And I've read many articles on this. And one of the best I said is that in reality, this was a no-win situation. Because on the one, if you limit one side and say, no, she can't discriminate in any way, well, then you're limiting her free speech and her religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so if you fall back on defending her free speech and and, um, religious beliefs, which clearly in this country, that's always been the side we have we have we have we have um, we have aired on. Some would say is free speech. Well, then you've basically allowed discriminatory speech, and it's when you look at the case in that light. Which way do you come down on? I think the Supreme Court six three came down and said, um, and, and this is my comment, but as egregious as it may be to many, we're better off to allow free speech. Your, 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 right, your rights are best protected by giving everyone the right to free speech. And, and, it cre- it, and it's a very difficult decision to read for many, and it's very legally confusing. But the best as I can tell, that's where the Supreme Court landed. And I, and I had a, I had a um, this is a phrase of an editorial I read this week, that it kind of ends like this. This decision will not fully satisfy anyone, but sometimes securing rights for yourself means respecting someone else's right to be grievously wrong. And I think in this case, I'm not calling people grievously wrong. This author obviously does. But I think that's where this case landed is it really was a strong support of the First Amendment, even though it means, and as you and I were talking on air, can the Nazi party go down and hold a rally on the court tomorrow? They can. Right. Can you and I, can you and I have the right to picket a business we don't like? Bud Light, 
Target, etc. Yes, we have that right. That's the traditional right. And we have the right to speak out against something. And, and to maintain that right, the right to picket, the right to speak out, you often have to give the other person the right to but say. But see, the left doesn't want that. Want say. If if they don't agree with what you say, they just flat want to shut you down. Don't. Well, and I think that's where that's where politically this decision of the Supreme Court and many others that came out. Um, create the political controversy because the immediate reaction of many is to step back to their left or right camp, wherever they are, and view the opinion through that lens. But I think if you try to step back a hair, which is what I try to do sometimes and say, what's the actual big picture implementation of this? And on this one, which was highly controversial, that's kind of where I landed. In the end, they are strongly supporting the right to free speech even though it means it might be allowing discriminatory speech in some people's opinion. And yes, that's exactly what they did. And as this author I just quoted said, sometimes the better compromise is to fall back on the higher principle, which is allow free speech and let that decide. Let then let people react to the free speech as they will. If, if right. I, I look back at, at, we've talked about All in the Family, the television show from the early 70s. Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker. Edith. Archie. Meatball. Archie was, uh, you know, a, a, a racist bigot. Okay. Obviously, Carol O'Connor was not. He was playing a character. But the 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 show, the whole premise of the show was not to glorify this idiotic way of thinking, but to show the absurdity of it. To expose the absurdity of it in a way that a you laughed at. And then you realized you were laughing at yourself. Right. And then you realized you were being introspective with yourself. And I still remember one of the most famous episodes of the show. I believe it was Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, comes on the show and yes. gives Archie a big old kiss. <laughs> and I just, but yes, I mean, that was. Well, uh, the whole, the whole, inter, the Rob relationship. Reiner, you know, just, it, it was just, a, it was an American iconic show because it was trying to, it was trying to both entertain America, but have America take a serious retrospective look at itself. And, and look at America at that time, coming out of the 60s, out of the late 60s, when you could say it was one of the you know, harshest times in, in the history of our country, uh, racially divided. And, and to, to bring that show, and I'm not trying to glorify you know, Norman Lear or that, but, but it illustrates it's so apropos today. And I have clients sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll send me a, a commercial. I do voiceover work and I do it for TV and radio stations all across the country. And, you know, uh, big name circus coming to town. Come see the elephants and lions. And I don't do those spots. I don't agree with with the the you know the treatment of those animals and and I don't I just don't agree with that and so I choose not to voice those you choose not to use your creative talent against something you don't that believe I don't in believe. and that was the core of this Colorado case exactly and so I I you know I I support that decision I think they made the right decision. And, and, and I don't want anybody telling me I've got, you know, you have to do it. That's And, and time will tell. Um, time will tell. But I, I say, as, as I've looked at it, it taken a couple days to look at some reactions and to read. I always read the opinions. So you know, I read all the opinions that come out, um, talk to them with my daughter who reads all the opinions. And, and, and kind of that's that's where I landed is sometimes you need to take a deep breath 
and step back and say, what really happened here? And yes, there's some bad. I can see the bad baked into this. I get that. But but the the good, the shining good in this is a, a strong defense of free speech. And I think of, of all the amendments, um, I think the First Amendment is the most important personally without free speech, without the ability to challenge your government, without the ability to protest, without the ability to picket, without the ability to seek redress, the other amendments don't matter. The first one is the most important. Some will say the second, but you don't get the second without the first. Scott Hughes in for Aaron McCarty. One of- You're just going to have to repeat everything you just no. said during the break. That's, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Mood there's, <laughs> what coffee donuts? There's there is an unwritten rule in this room. Save it for the radio. Uh, but I talking with Scott Hughes, one hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, in for Aaron, Mike, and McCarty. Uh, we were talking about the the Supreme Court decision. Um, there were a lot of them. They there, were, they I know. were fascinating. And and the the, the one also that I would. What, what was what was I just saying? Because the, then we got off. Loans on, is what yeah, got thank you. Student loans. Um, it, it, it's been said. I think it was Rush even said President Biden doesn't have the authority well, to it, forgive. What is this? Five billion dollars. It was four hundred billion. Thank you. Four hundred billion made my point even more. <laughs> Of debt. He doesn't have that authority. And I think we just a second ago, we broke down the free speech one. I gave you my, these are my opinions, not attorney. I'm not a U.S. Supreme Court (laughs) justice, by the way. We're going to record that so we can Um, say it every segment for you. But again, I looked at, I I took a hard look at that one. And I think with, with, with the student loan, I think if you step back from what the debt is, the debt is student loan. And so if you go down that path, you get emotionally into, you know, did many of these schools trick kids and were people sent to college that didn't belong? We could have that conversation, whole other show. But where you got in the end, where the Supreme Court got was the president of the United States, effectively by his signature, was saying he could waive $400 million of debt, billion dollars of debt. And what the Supreme Court said by overturning that, which upset many people, was no. The Constitution says we can't do that. You went too far. I think we all agree the president should have some powers. He has the power to declare war, but he has to go to Congress within 90 days to seek certain things. Right. And this is very similar. The president can do certain things. power for a reason. And, and, and I think if you step back and, and, and forget who's the president, whether it's sure. Biden or Trump or Clinton or Reagan, I don't care who it is. I don't think you want to live in a country where a single human being agree. can erase $400 billion of debt. And that was the, the decision. They said you went too far. You took what was called a Heroes Act that was clearly intended for something else, and you stretched it to try to make this political promise. Now, explain the Heroes Act. Well, the Heroes Act was put in place after 9-11 to allow certain things to take place. And um, they, they went looking for it, it allowed the president in extreme emergency situations to waive certain things. Right. And to be honest, be honest, and we're going to see this in the second wave, there are rules right now in the Department of Education that allows the Secretary of Education to do certain things. Like, for example, I think a president clearly can delay the payments. 
That was done during COVID. COVID hit, and if you had a student loan, they delayed the payments of the student loan. Okay, well, that's fine. You didn't eliminate the debt. Now you're just into the collection portion of it, if we get into the operational side. So so a president so of the Department of Education semantics. has that power. It's semantics. Right. But to say, okay, since we delayed the payments three years, now we're just going to make the debt go away? Supreme Court said that's a step too far. You don't have that power. You can deal with collections. You can deal with interest rates. You can deal with you know emergencies, but you can't waive four hundred million dollars. You know who can? Congress. Congress can waive the four hundred right. million dollars. So I, when, when you and that's highly political, unfortunately, because you have a lot of people caught in that debt trap, and that's a horrible situation for those that have it. College is very right, expensive. But then you start talking about the entitlement society, no, and, and that's I'm trying to avoid that conversation for the moment. Just looking at the policy side of this, and so you have an unfortunate situation where people do have the debt, and I'm not trying to downplay that. My daughter has student loan debt, but I don't expect but a you lot of to people pay it. do, and a lot of people paid their own. A lot of people made decisions. Exactly. And so now you get into that whole political side of it, and it became a political football, and it was used by one side possibly as a campaign promise. And I think wrapped in the Supreme Court's decision becomes the politics of this. That's the emotional response that you see. But if you step back again, as we talk, step back from the emotional response of that and look at the fiscal policy, constitutional authority, and I don't think the Constitution gives the U.S. president anywhere near the power to waive $400 billion of debt, and that's what the Supreme Court said. Scott Hughes in for Aaron McCarty. Look, make it a safe and uh, and happy 4th of July, and uh, we'll be back on Wednesday, 101.7 FM.